Money mistakes made in your 30s can have a big impact for several decades. We'll cover that in our next segment. Right now, the number of people quitting their jobs remains at record levels. Let's examine the reasons behind the trend with Andrew Bush, former chief markets intelligence officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and economist at andrewbush.com based in Chicago. Andy, thanks for joining us today. Who is quitting their jobs and why? Well, as you heard, I mean, it's clearly in the leisure and hospitality sector. I mean, a million people leaving their jobs. That's fascinating. But it's not surprising, given Omicron and given what we saw with Delta prior to that, um, you know, if we look a little bit and, and zoom out just a little bit, Rob, the major causes of what's going on in the labor shortage situation are, you know, there's a big number of increased retired workers. There's a lack of daycare centers. There's been pandemic uh, border closures. A lot of people went to self-employment, started their own companies. The extended unemployment benefits and relief dollars, that like kept workers from going back to work to some extent. And of course, the low pay and hazardous work aspect of some of these jobs just made people not want to come back. These quits in the leisure and hospitality space, this simply a case of a lot of people realizing there's just a different way to make a living? Or is this also a reflection of the fact that uh, Omicron is uh, hitting these businesses pretty hard? Yeah, it's a combination of both, right? So chronically, uh, this is an area that's been underpaid to some extent. You can make that argument. And so workers don't want to come back to, you know, a situation where they're making low pay or they have to really look at the trade-off between going back to work or, say, you know, taking care of an elderly, uh, you know, a, a relative or a, maybe one of their kids, you know. And, and again, if they're not getting child care, um, boy, that's really tough to go back to work and, and, and put that child uh, someplace else, you know, with a, a relative. And then, of course, if there's any school closures, that will exacerbate the situation. And I think these numbers for leisure and hospitality are going to get worse in December. And when we talk about uh, uh, turning a corner on the pandemic, there have been a number of corners that we think we have turned, but uh, <laughs> just, to, just to wind up in another place, another variant shows up. But let's say... Omicron ends and cases do plummet and something approximately close to normal returns later on in 2022. Is the great resignation going to continue or is it going to slow down as life returns to what it was in 2019? So a couple of things. First of all, there is no return to normal. That that is never going to happen. We are we're going to have a different future, whatever that is, from you know pre 2020. The second thing is is that we accelerated um, because of Omicron. We did accelerate the number of retirees uh, that are happening. That's much faster than most people you know thought would happen. Um, I don't think they're going to come back. Some of them will, but not all of them. And these are workers that are older that obviously are more at risk from Omicron. But then lastly, I would say the good news about Omicron, and there is good news about it is that it's less virulent and it's more like the flu. So it, that's the best news I can bring as far as that variant goes. We, we would like it to be the dominant one because it's not killing as many people, which is A, good, and B, um, there are new pills that are out there from Pfizer that can reduce the effects of COVID and specifically on Omicron. So there's some good things that are happening below the surface. It's going to take us to get through December and January and part of February to really see that.
Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Andrew Bush, former Chief Markets Intelligence Officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, based in Chicago. Find him online at andrewbush.com. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Some of the most important financial decisions you make can come as a young adult and into your 30s. Let's talk about some key strategies with Tony Orgoric, founder of Orgoric Wealth Management based in Buffalo, New York. Tony, thank you for joining us today. It sounds like the first one and the biggest one is the belief, uh, especially in your early 30s, that if you make the minimum payments on a credit card or some other form of debt, you're free and clear. And that's not the case. Well, uh, Happy New Year, by the way. You know, I saw this ad today. It was crazy. I won't give you the name of the company, but it says, you know, you've got all this credit card debt. And if you just work with us, your credit card debt goes away. <laughs> well, it doesn't go away. It's just replaced by another loan, which is going to be stretched out. You know, you, that thing is going to be with you into eternity uh, if you just make, you know, minimal payments on it. And when you look at the interest rate environment we're in right now, which is really, really low, and you look at some of the rates you're paying, it's a mess. So bottom line is you should strive to only charge things you can pay off at the end of the month. If you can't, you know, do that, maybe you wait a month or two to buy some things. Uh, but really, you should be looking at that. Um, and, and speaking of that, Rob, one of the biggest uh, assets people have, and they don't realize it, is their income. So, you know, if you're in your, in your 30s and let's say you work for another 30 years, uh, you get a 3% pay raise a year and uh, you're earning 75000 bucks. that's going to be worth $3.5 million down the road. But if you have an illness, you get sick, something happens and your income goes away, that's really the underpinning of everything in your life. So you really have to make sure through your employer that you've got disability income insurance. That's something that uh, people, when they do their benefit enrollment in November or December, they kind of gloss over it maybe as something, uh, oh, I don't need this or that doesn't, uh, this doesn't apply to me because I'm young and healthy and in a rec basketball league. And really, that could make a huge difference because you don't know when that accident comes along. And the term accident, you know, uh, here's another interesting thing. You know, what if your doctor told you, you know, Rob, for whatever reason, I'm going to charge you 40% more than my other patients. Well, you'd have a fit, get an attorney, you'd make a big stink out of it. But bottom line is, if you have an HSA, a health savings account, you know, which is allows you to pay these out-of-pocket expenses with pre-tax dollars, you may be paying, you know, up to 40% more than you need to because you're using after-tax dollars to pay for those things. So when you look at the beginning of the year and you're looking at what your payroll deductions are going to be, I think everybody should try to have at least a couple thousand bucks put in their HSA, their health savings account, for any medical, out-of-pocket medical expenses uh, you're going to have. And then very quickly, Tony, uh, once again, uh, saving for retirement is the best gift you can give yourself. I got to say, you know, people, you know, if I tell you, look, you can have free money, people will be being, uh, you know, a pad to my door. But the bottom line is for a lot of employers, they will give you a dollar for dollar match up to maybe three or 6% of your pay. So if you put away $3,000, they're giving you another $3,000. It's 100% on your money. You can't not do it. So my advice is at least put enough money in to get your employer match. Thanks a lot. Tony Orgoric, founder of Orgoric Health Management based in Buffalo, New York. Information to make cash and save cash. 
The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Ford is announcing ambitious plans for its new all-electric F-150 Lightning pickup truck. Let's get the details now from Jeff Gilbert, CBS News automotive reporter based in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, Jeff, thanks for joining us today. This seems like a case of Ford has yet to build one F-150 Lightning pickup, but they have determined they uh, can't build them fast enough. How big is this backlog? Uh, it's a backlog of 200,000 reservations. Now, these are not orders. These are reservations. And Ford feels from this that, that demand will be stronger than they first thought. So they cranked up production to about 150,000 vehicles a year, starting in a couple of years at, at their Rouge plant, where they're going to make this vehicle. Again, it's based on anticipated demand, not actual real sales. How is the buzz kind of gone out in the automotive and especially in the big pickup truck community uh, that this truck uh, is something worth buying or at least reserving? Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a very exciting truck. And Ford has already, if you've watched any NFL broadcast this year, you always see an ad for this truck. It, it's the first time I've ever seen a car maker advertise a vehicle that's not going to be out for several more months, but they've created a lot of buzz. And also, the timing of this announcement is kind of interesting because tomorrow GM is going to unveil its electric Chevy Silverado. So Ford is also trying to play a little bit of gamesmanship with its competition here. It's 2022 and everything is a political and cultural signifier. And are you surprised by the idea that uh, people are lining up to buy a vehicle that uh, is associated with tree huggers, electric cars? I, no, because if you look at the ads that Ford has put out, they, they don't advertise this as a tree-hugging vehicle. They advertise it as a vehicle that has lockable storage in the front called a frunk that can uh, power a work site. They can do all sorts of things that internal combustion powered vehicles can't do and that's really what you need if you want electric vehicles to to take off and to flourish you have to show people why they should buy them for more than just environmental reasons and again we expect the same thing from general motors tomorrow when they unveil their electric pickup you know more than just being green is there now an arms race underway in the big electric pickup truck space yep big electric pickups big vans because yeah, a lot of these are going to be purchased by companies with their fleets because that's a perfect use for them. The companies can say they're green. They also have lower total cost of ownership. The companies fill them up with electricity at night. They don't have to fill them up with gasoline. They don't have to change transmission, fluid, oil, anything like that. So a lot of this is really a competition of pickups and vans between the major car makers trying to sell them to big companies. Jeff Gilbert, CBS News Automotive Correspondent based in Detroit. Thanks for joining us today. The markets are mixed. We're joined by Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios based in San Diego, California. The website, macrotides.com. Jim, thanks for joining us today. Well, at first blush, it looks like investors are kind of shrugging off this surge of Omicron around the world as they're starting to realize that uh, hospitalizations and deaths are, are becoming uncoupled from the number of new cases. Yeah, that's exactly what has happened the last few days. And, you know, there was evidence of this, Rob, about two weeks ago and looking at the uh, data coming out of South Africa. And it's just become more widespread in terms of people reading about it over the last week. 
And then a lot of the, uh, some of the cruise stocks are starting to uh, bounce back once again, even though uh, cruise ships are, uh, the CDC did make that uh, statement regarding cruise ships uh, last yep. week, saying it was a bad idea. But investors say as far as, uh, as, far as uh, a place to put your money, it's a good idea. Well, again, everyone is anticipating, Rob, that uh, A, Omicron will be gone by the end of January for the most part. And even if you get infected, it's not any worse than a, a cold. Uh, but I'm kind of with you in the sense of I'm not sure I'd want to take a cruise right away. Uh, but there are good deals to be had. And I think that's what people are looking at is reservations as you go out to coming months, uh, you know, have been improving. And that makes those stocks uh, attractive. Uh, the couple of uh, uh, stocks that were dragging down the NASDAQ today, starting with Tesla, and that seems like simply a case of uh, what goes up must come down. <laughs> well, it had a, a great run based on the news that it uh, announced yesterday as far as car production. Overall, I think what's going on here, Rob, is that Treasury yields uh, are moving aggressively higher uh, and that move up was actually signaled last week, technically, as both the 10-year and 30-year broke above specific levels that I've noted uh, over the last week or two. And my expectation is that the 10-year will make a run at 2% and probably above 2% uh, in the next you know, one to three or four months. And as 10-year Treasury yields go up, that starts to compress the P.E. ratios of high-priced stocks. Tesla obviously is in that group, but all the mega cap stocks that have had a great run over the last few years uh, would be included. So that's why, in my view, was that we would see rates pop up in the first quarter of uh, 2022, and that ultimately that would lead to a 10 to 15 percent correction, more likely in the first quarter. Um, and, uh, you know, so far the first step toward that is, is coming true. The analysis about uh, Omicron basically burning through in the month of January uh, and then getting out of here, uh, what, what will that look like or what, does, what do the markets think that's going to look like uh, once we get to early February and that particular variant is, uh, is, is passed? Well, more of a return to normal uh, as people are able to go out uh, to dinner and go to public places. Uh, and, you know, the net result is that's a positive for the U.S. economy. Uh, consumers are sitting on over $2 trillion worth of savings above and beyond what they would have held. And that was derived from the money that the federal government handed out to both people who were working uh, in, you know, over the last uh, 18 months or not working. And so there's a huge war chest, if you will, Rob, of consumer savings that is going to continue to power the economy uh, in 2022. And, I, and that's why I think the economy's in fine shape. I just think that the stock market is going to have a, a stumble if I'm right and the 10-year Treasury yield starts to run towards 2% or slightly above in the first part of the year. And, but it also, you know, the, the one thing I've learned from doing this program for the last five years is that the market is very resilient. And even when you see indicators or metrics that show signs that uh, troubles are brewing, um, it finds a way to jump over those obstacles. Yeah. Well, again, I think, the for me at least, Rob, the key determinant is 
Is the economy going to be in good shape or are we have real risk that it will slip into a recession? I think the odds of a recession in the next 12 months are minuscule, uh, whereas in prior you know, bear markets, those big declines are almost always accompanied by a recession. So that to me is the difference between are you going to get a pullback correction within the context of a bull market? So even though I'm looking for a 10 to 15 percent pullback, it's within the context of a bull market. After the correction is over, my expectation is that the S&P will rally above 5,000 later on in 2022. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Jim Welsh, macro strategist, portfolio manager, smart portfolios in San Diego, California. The website, macrotides.com. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Following a brief respite over the summer, more countries are reinstating travel restrictions. Let's get some help with locations and strategies for a trip from Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale. The website is travelbta.com. Angie, thanks for joining us today. Uh, A little over a month ago, I was at O'Hare talking to uh, people who were getting off the first international flight flights from Europe uh, since the pandemic restrictions were lifted, and they said there was a rush to travel booking websites to go to the United States the moment the country opened the doors. Uh, You have that that rush is still underway, I believe. Is that correct? You're right. People are planning their travels. I think we've had a little bit of a a slowdown in terms of people who were not uh, sure whether or not they wanted to pull that trigger simply due to the Omicron virus. But again, October, November, December, we had a lot of travelers overseas, including to Europe. And um, they were excited to get back and to be able to travel. Let's say uh, you're you're talking to uh, a family that uh, has now put off an international trip several times. It was planned initially for 2020, uh, canceled because of the pandemic back then, uh, rescheduled because of conditions in 2021. They have now have it set for 2022. Omicron is here, and they are concerned about whether this trip will have to be delayed one more time. How do you counsel them? It's really important to look at the terms and conditions of your airfare as well as any land that you have secured. Are those terms and conditions allowing for cancellation or changes? We've heard from the airlines over and over again that many of the airlines are waiving their change fees, but at the same time, you still may have an expiration date. Oftentimes, that expiration date is linked to the date in which you purchased your tickets, not necessarily your travel date. So it's really important to use those vouchers before they expire. Do you encounter a lot of people who say, look, we're vaxxed, we've done, we've followed all of the rules, we have developed a certain level of comfort about living in this world of COVID, we just want to go, but we haven't traveled yet uh, in in the time of of COVID-19. What's your advice to them? People's risk levels are very, very different, and it's best to understand what are your trigger points and what causes you anxiety related to travel, and everyone has a different trigger point. For some, it's traveling through an airport. For others, it's the distance that they travel. The notion of traveling overseas sounds more intimidating, so it's important to really talk to the client and determine what is it that has them concerned so that we can avoid those issues and prepare for 
um, those issues that concern them the most. Some people would rather travel further away to an off-the-beaten-path location where they know that the per ratio of travelers and the population density is lower, whereas other people, they want to stay closer to home, yet they're traveling to places that are highly congested. So it's really on a case-by-case basis we determine what is the best way to plan that person's travelers based on their risk level and the things that really concern them the most. So do people call and say, hey, Angie, book me at the most remote island you can find? Absolutely. During the pandemic, believe it or not, those have been really the areas, the niches where we've seen the most travel. People who are wanting to rent private villas on exclusive locations in the Caribbean or people renting homes in Tuscany. Sure, there's the air travel that's a little bit hard to avoid when you're going overseas, but they feel that once they're on location, they are able to social distance and they prepare themselves for the air travel. They're testing before, they're testing upon their return. We have a lot of clients that actually feel safer about traveling than they do going to a party in their own uh, neighborhood five miles from their home where there's 100, 200 people congregating and not social distancing where, you know, so it really depends on the individual. Different scenarios are going to propose different levels of risk and the certainty of those level risks obviously vary as well thank you very much angie rice co-founder boutique travel advisors based in scottsdale the website travelbta.com the best daily deal in chicago the wbbm noon business hour Information from U-Haul and United Van Line shows Illinois is one of the top outbound states in the country. We welcome in Catherine Davis, reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Catherine, thanks for joining us today. You put a story like this on social media and you could set your watch to the comments that it will generate. Uh, people assuming that people are leaving Illinois because they're fed up with all the problems we talk about on the radio station on a daily basis. But it, it seems like the reason why pe- the reasons why people are Illinois are are leaving Illinois are as varied as the number of people who are actually leaving. Everyone's got their own story. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. You know, you're, you're so right in saying that. I feel like we're always anecdotally hearing people want to leave Chicago for crime and high taxes, but you know, these studies show that people are leaving for, you know, other reasons that are also really practical. Um, a lot of people leaving to, you know, for retirement, um, to be closer to family or, you know, job-related reasons. They got a new job in a new, in a new place, a new city, and have to make the move. What's fascinating to me is that in 2020, we discovered that we don't have to live near our job anymore and that remote work means the entire country is open to you. Uh, is, you, you can live wherever you want if you can work remotely. And is that the case with people leaving Illinois? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, you know, the data shows that people are leaving these high dense states, right, that are home to big cities and and expanding out to, you know, the southwest, southeast um, in in, in lower density areas. And, you know, I think there's a lot to to be said for those types of places, right? They can be uh, cheaper from an affordability aspect. Um, You know, maybe have more outdoor attractions than Chicago or Illinois does as well. Illinois, Connecticut, California, New York, New Jersey were the states that people were leaving. The biggest inbound states were West Virginia, Alabama, Oregon, Idaho, Vermont, South Dakota. So uh, this does back up your point that people are maybe just are in search of wide open spaces. 
Yeah, and you know, I talked to um, a urban design expert at the University of Chicago, and she said that even before the pandemic, this was sort of a trend we were seeing. You know, more Americans have been leaving dense cities for smaller cities or college towns, um, just for, you know, all the reasons we just listed. And then um, when it comes to people moving into Illinois, it may be a trickle compared to the flood who are moving out, but what's bringing people to the state? Yeah, a lot of people cited, um, you know, being closer to family and then also the, the job opportunities. Um, you know, those were the, the, the biggest reasons. And I think it's interesting to point out that, you know, uh, higher earners tend to be the people making moves, whether it's to Illinois or out of Illinois. Um, you know, more than half of the people making a move earn $100,000 or more on an annual basis. Well, Catherine Davis, reporter, Crane Chicago Business.